Welcome to Motherhood and Career Collide. Hey, I'm Kimberly. And I'm Ashley. We are two working moms on opposite coasts with experience in both corporate America and healthcare. Now on a mission to redefine how career and motherhood collide. Between the two of us, we have six kids, ages six and under. Coming to you from in the trenches of modern motherhood. Hi, everyone. I'm Kimberly, and I'm here with Ashley today. And we are so excited to talk about quiet quitting. This term is taken off recently. It reminds me of how the term the great resignation took off and became Mm -hmm. like a real thing. It sounds slightly confusing if you're not familiar with the term. So in my mind, when I hear quiet quitting, that means that you're leaving gracefully with some sort of like upset thoughts that you don't share. (laughs) But uh, that's not what it means. So it has nothing to do with quitting at all. Yeah. So why don't you share, Ashley, sort of what you found in terms of like what it actually means? Yeah. So this is not a new term, which I discovered. Thank you, Working Mom Notes followers. A lot of people commented like, I don't understand why this is so trendy right now. This isn't a new term. So really it became trendy because of TikTok. Shocking, right? (laughs) So one of a Gen Z guy posted about it and sort of described what it was and it's really taken off. And now the news and media sources are just running with this. So basically quiet quitting, the objective of it is not to disrupt the workplace, but rather to avoid occupational burnout and to pay more attention to one's mental health and personal well-being. Proponents of quiet quitting also refer are referred to as acting your wage, which I think is kind of funny, acting your wage. So basically, after the Gallup poll came out last week, it found that roughly half of U.S. workers are quiet quitters. And that just doesn't sound right to me. And to your point, I think it has a lot to do with the great resignation. Everyone is burnt out. Everyone's standards are different. Everyone's mindset about work-life balance slash integration are different. And I really feel like we have so much to unpack here in what quiet quitting is, how we got here, How do we get through it? And I don't even want to say past it, but how do we come to a solution that works for both employees and employers? Yeah, it's so interesting, like reading about this, by the way. So if you haven't read about it, it really is a very interesting read. There are a lot of articles about it right now. And we'll Um, link up what we are referencing. It's They're so good. They're so good. Yeah. So one of the ones I was reading was a Vanity Fair article and it's, it's pretty lengthy, but it has some good meat of information on there. And, uh, they, they reference Anthony Klutz, 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 Klutz. (laughs) I butcher name. So please, my apologies. Um, I just really embrace that last name. (laughs) I don't 
So he is a management professor and he was giving his opinion on quiet quitting and it's it's interesting because interesting because it gives like a concept and a name towards like certain employees or certain tasks. So he says all jobs have four elements of the job, right? Like there's things that you have to get done, which mm-hmm. we call in-role performance. Quiet quitting is putting everything beyond that, which we call citizenship behaviors, going above and beyond the call of duty. And what's interesting about this is this idea of quiet quitting is sort of this thought process and mind shift of saying, I'm going to take my um, foot off the gas pedal a little bit, and I'm going to protect my well-being and even sense of identity. So I'm not all about work. I have life outside of work. I don't want to spend 60 hours a week in the in an office environment or even working from home for 60 hours, there are things that I want to do outside of that, which I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of light bulbs going off who are less tenure in their work environment, maybe. And looking at this and saying like, wait, this is the rest of my life. This is insanity. Like, you know, and a wake up during the pandemic because of that. This idea is really, I'm quiet quitting mentally to make room for me to be more than just a worker. That's essentially what it's saying. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because that's sort of like a lot of what the pandemic was about is like in terms of this burnout feeling, it was like, I went all in to try to support you. And then I lost a lot of my own self because of it. And now halfway through the pandemic, that time frame, we said, okay, how can we create a better balance here? How can we create life? It, work is not life for us. There's much more. And there was a lot about that, right? Yeah. Especially working parents, like all of a sudden they're realizing, I mean, first you put us off by you. I mean, like the country, right? you know, and the things that happen, some completely uncontrollable, some obviously just foundational flaws, but, you know, we're all traumatized by needing to do all this homeschooling and keeping our kids safe and masking and sanitizing and, you know, all the things. And then things slowly get lifted and go back to quote unquote normal, but you still have your kids doing school activities. So it's like, okay, before school, after school, like, again, it's just not aligned. And so the point is that people are employees are finally saying like, okay, it wasn't really working for me well before. Then I like completely burnt out because it's not working for me during a pandemic. And now this is what will actually work for me. And it's really like a shift in roles where it's now finally like in mass people, employees, you know, really saying what they want from their employers. And it's really forcing employers to listen this time around. Yeah. And are they listening? I'm not sure. I mean, this term, thanks to my wonderful working mom notes followers, they let me know that it's not, this is not a new term. It has been around since 2009. It was originally coined by, by an economist named Mark Bolger. And 
So many people actually already know about this. I did not. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It seems to have more traction than it's had since 2009, in my opinion. Maybe it's just because it's more on my radar now. I mean, in 2009, my work life was a little bit different, you know? Didn't have kids. Thing, you know, priorities are different. Yeah, work felt like more your life. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted it to be that way, to be honest with you. You know, I think I'm really t- torn with this phrase because I do consider myself like a go-getter, a above and beyond, 110% kind of person. And so to do what's asked of me and nothing more is feels weird, like very weird. And it shouldn't. I mean, I think that this term is putting like a real spotlight on healthy boundaries. <laughs> so many of us don't have or didn't have, or maybe should reevaluate but I'm still really struggling. I'm struggling with this. I mean, how, how are you feeling since this has come on your radar? Well, I think it's interesting because I'm also like someone that I'm competitive. I'm also someone that likes to be like right in the top in terms of, you know, being considered for a new position or being like thought at for that newest opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I'm driven by that. I like that experience. I feel motivated, but that also comes from a work environment and how that work environment kind of fits your experience in your life. So, you know, as you're talking about like, well, yeah, I was like that before I had kids and then I had kids and I had to shift that. It's a really difficult shift. And, you know, many parents struggle with that shift uh, to sort of like reset their mind. Like I actually, I really have to leave at four 30 to pick up my child from daycare, or I have to go, I have to go home, pick up my kid from school at three, and then I'll work from home while I'm home. Mm-hmm. And I think that those mind shifts are really challenging in some cases. And because they, if you have like a mind, like yours or mine, you consider the fact that, well, what does that mean? Does that mean they're not going to consider me for like the next opportunity? Mm -hmm. Or does that show, like, if I put that healthy boundary there, does that mean that I'm not shown as like an employee that is striving for excellence? That sort of is that, Mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. And that is what we've been like, and that's what's been ingrained in us. Our, yeah, we're conditioned. Yeah, so. Athletes too, I think. Yeah, could be that too. I mean, I yeah. it definitely could be that. I mm-hmm. will say on the flip side is like this idea of team, if we're going to like, let's take that analogy a little bit further, like on a team perspective, I'm driven by the experience that the team provides. So if I'm in a crappy mm-hmm. team and I don't feel like, I'm recognized for my hard work, or I don't feel some sort of connection with the other teammates. And I'm just feel like I'm going through the motions. I'm certainly not going to go above and beyond because I'm just not in it. I don't feel good when I show up. I'm like, Oh, I got to show up and do this. Like, I don't want to do this. And even again, like, why is that team crappy or not motivated? Right. It all like the things. Yeah. You know, yeah. So those are the things like creating that environment. And it's, don't get me wrong, it's hard to create those environments. It's, oh, yeah. 
you know, you need people that want to participate in that, want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And so usually you have to have a couple people that will come along with you if you're in that coach or managerial role to help support that. So now let's flip to corporate America and look at it, like how that looked pre-pandemic. That looked like office parties. Um, that looked like lunch and learn at, in, in an actual office. That looked like mm-hmm. happy hours. Mm-hmm. But now people can work wherever they want in many cases, or they're being forced to go back, which is also not ideal. But you're trying to create an that same sort of connection in a very different environment. And mm-hmm. so, you know, some people will excel at sort of like rallying the two troops in a different way. And then some people just cannot get out of like their old habits on how they did things before. And it will become a real big struggle. And I think that that like talks about can things adjust? Mm -hmm. Actually, that professor that I was mentioning, he from the Vanity Fair article, he also shares that usually in a world of work, organizational leaders change and followers are the ones who have to adjust. This is the moment where it's flipped a little bit. A lot of employees and a lot of the world of work is saying to leaders, we've gotten this glimpse into this world of work, this future of work that is better for us. Mm -hmm. Could you please adjust? (laughs) And that's tough. Yeah. (laughs) And it's tough because you're asking the people with the power to adjust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I loved in actually Yahoo Finance spoke to this as well, because really they're saying that there's different types of people that make it to the quote unquote corner office, as we mentioned, like, you know, whether it be like that athlete mentality or, you know, whatever it is, it's like the individuals that who most certainly want to be on that highest rung of a career ladder who are heavily influenced by monetary incentives and who made work their life. So quiet quitting is not in them. Just like they can't fathom it. It's like, just not, not going to happen. So research published last year showed that coworkers and culture matter more to people's sense of job satisfaction than pay a blow to anyone who thinks that the prospect of landing a bigger paycheck is all it takes to, you know, make everyone happy and pumped up again. So Literally now we have, to your point, these two groups, we have the disenchanted employees who wonder what the point is, you know, of working themselves to the bone. Like, why does it have to be this way? Basically is like the big overarching question here. And then the second group are the corporate elite whose way of thinking about the workplace is under threat. Like, they think to themselves, well, this is how I got here. This is how I became successful. So number one, this is how I have to stay here to stay successful, maybe. And also, it's really a thought of like, okay, how am I going to lead and manage these people when I've never managed this way before? Mm-hmm. So it's all new. And I mean, I I know a fair amount of successful people and there's one thing they 
definitely all have in common and it's that they do not like change. Right. And this is like the epitome of change. So obviously we're getting pushback here. Yeah. And it's interesting. So I like the company I worked for before starting learning motherhood, like literally went through an insane amount of growth in a very short period of time. It felt very entrepreneurial as we were growing out the West coast and there was constant like change. Like we were building new groups. We were reassigning like what type of job roles there were. There were new managers, like, kind of shifting from different roles to promotion within the organization to building out brand new territories. I mean, it really like anything you can possibly imagine was happening. And then that spirit changed. So we went from this very entrepreneurial, like really cool vibe. And at some point that changed. And when that change occurred, you saw a very different shift and a lot of like the people that had gone through that sort of insane growth, like the stock split. I mean, it was it was a really unique period of time to wow. land in that organization. You saw like employees get disenchanted because it was more like grinded out versus yeah. celebrating kind of like new and new things that were happening and how, and you see this, I think with organizations that go through growth really fast and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now what? You know, this very exponential growth in a very short period of time. And it's, you know, at some point it's not sustainable. You kind of have to get to a place where, and when you do that, it's like, how do you keep the morale and people engaged? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, for me personally, first of all, I've never heard of this term. And I was a manager back in 2009. I, I, I definitely don't remember this term. But I will say that it's interesting as a manager of a sales team that was not located in my back pocket. Like (laughs) I would see them a couple times a year or a couple times a month, um, but not necessarily every week. And so, you know, you have to work within those means. So you think of the pandemic, right? You think of like the scenarios where people were not able to gather together. And so now we're going into a scenario now where the opportunities to gather together are back there, but we don't want to go back to the old ways as the quiet quitters are saying, like my life actually does mean something outside of work. And so you either have those skills or to your point, you don't. And it's that self-reflection to say, I don't have all the answers as a manager and it's okay for me to learn and it's okay for me to change And that's where you separate like the good and the bad managers, unfortunately, like, because change, you know, I was lucky to get trained in change, constant change. They don't have, they've never experienced like, you know, for many, depending on what role you're in, maybe you work for a very traditional organization, but like working in a sales organization, there's constant change happening. Mm -hmm. You know what I think? This, this stat really blew my mind and you know me and my numbers is that Harvard Business Review wrote an article last week saying quiet quitting is about bad bosses, not bad employees. Sort of like what you're saying, everyone, you know, it's the, it's the higher ups that we need to increase morale and engagement. And that's what's going to motivate employees. When they did the research on this, it was 
in 2020, they compared more than 13,000 employees' ratings of 2,800 managers who balance getting results with a concern for others' needs and their ratings of the extent to which their work environment is a place where people want to go the extra mile. So the opposite of quiet quitting. And this shocked, this really shocked me. Managers who were rated highest on balancing relationships with results saw 62% of their employees willing to give extra effort and only 3% quiet quitting. And then the other, if you're wondering what the other 35%, they were just kind of neutral where they're not like going crazy above and beyond, but they're also not quiet quitting. So 3% of people are truly, according to this Harvard Business Review article, quiet quitters. But the most recent Gallup poll that everyone keeps talking about is that across the nation, 50% of employees are quiet quitters. That's a huge difference in number. So what's what's going on with the 47% who are working as quiet quitters but aren't really at like in their core, like at their heart, like really wanting to be quiet quitters. Well, my own thoughts on it could be sort of some of the things we talked about. Like they're yeah. navigating an extreme amount of burnout, which I think yeah. any parent out there that had young children. Yeah, everyone's like, you know what? F it, I'm done. Like, no, this is not me. This is not pre-pandemic, Ashley, but I need a minute. Yeah, and also, <laughs> and it's not even like, I think we've talked about it before, but it's not really something that can be resolved by a weekend away or, you know, a spa treatment or, you know, you know, extra sleep one night. It is mm-hmm. something that you have to work through. We've gone through an incredible amount of trauma um, as parents and through this experience. And this is going to take a bit to get through. And so our best looks maybe different. So that's like one of the ways that I think that number could represent. And it's not just parents. It could be other people that are in caregiving roles, whatever that scenario is. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other piece is managers adjusting and companies adjusting to a different set of rules and guidelines and, and how to navigate this new quote unquote, future of work. And you can't like, I don't know. I just watched the WeWork. It's not a docu-series, but it's on Apple TV. And it's a series about Adam Newman, who was the co-founder of WeWork. And I bring this up because they did a lot of like employee experiences. So there were a lot of things that they did to try to like make the work environment so fun and collaborative. And it was a lot of like, a lot of alcohol, a lot of employee events with alcohol. It was like retreats, a lot of different things related to that. But the expectation was also like, hey, you need to just work until it's done. And then, you know, the occasional like, you don't need to work today. But like, it was, you know, on terms with what at a higher level based on what I just watched <laughs> on yeah, terms like a of, daily, a true daily grind. Yeah. Yeah. And you just make it happen. But then you had all these employee perks. Well, I think what 
our society is saying here with this quiet quitting is like, thank you for the employee put perks, but I don't want to work those hours. So right. I want employee perks, mm-hmm. but I want a reasonable number of hours so I can also live outside of work. And mm-hmm. the way I can think about it is like when I was pre-kids, I actually went on like ski trips with my like several employees that I worked with before I became a manager. Like we would go away on trips together because we were spending, you know, a good amount of time together. Mm -hmm. So creating an environment like that, when you're not with each other all the time, is going to look very different now. Right. Yes. That and, and what, you're seeing is people don't want that. So it's the things that as managers, you can say, like, here's what I'm going to do on an employee standpoint to create that morale, to create that ability to go the extra mile, because there are ways you can do it. I mean, I can name several companies that are, you know, knocking it out of the park in terms of providing that like culture to allow for that innovative thought that is that extra mile. Mm-hmm. And it's because of, you know, things that the individual leadership teams make a priority. And yeah. so like, but if you want to dumb it down, it's really like, how often are you talking to your employees as a manager? How often are you actually actively listening? <laughs> like, I think of this as like, even our children, yeah. like actively <laughs> listening to them, not looking at your phone, not saying like, okay, I tell me what you got while having the pre- another thing going on, yeah. not multitasking, like actively listening. Like and sit it- down across from one another, making eye contact and communicating and listening. Yeah. And just asking the questions like, how are you? Mm-hmm. Not just about the numbers. Right. Because right. you have to look at the other side of this for managers if you lose an employee, it's very costly for the company, for you to replace that person, to train them. It's like a whole thing. So it makes sense to try to keep, you know, an employee that you actually like truly believe in. You know, this reminds me of, and take it for what it is, Gary V. Some people love him. Some people don't. He said something to, to this point though, about really communicating, knowing your employees, because everyone is motivated by something different mm-hmm. and you can't know what's going to motivate them unless you talk to them. Like you're saying, sit down, ask the questions, get to know them. And he said, he used that as an example. Like he sat down with one of his employees and they were avid, avid baseball fans. And so as like a bonus or a thank you for whatever that employee going above and beyond, he got him, I, you know, highly coveted tickets to a baseball game. And that, that worked for that employee. Would that work? Would that work for all employees? No, but take going that extra mile to see what incentivizes your people on your team will make all the difference in them wanting to perform and deliver, you know, hit those deliverables at 110% instead of just like checking it off the box. Yeah. And I, I look at this, like, I remember asking my employee team, cause here's the thing. When you do, you ask your employees to do supportive culture work outside of hours. There's a lot of eye rolling typically. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to go to that work dinner. I want to yeah. be with my family. Yes. What are, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. 
However, a lot of times what we did, would do is we would say, here's sort of some milestones that we're trying to hit for the month, quarter, whatever. And when we hit these milestones, what would you guys like to do? And as a team, you came up with something. So maybe it was like, oh my gosh, I really would just like to like take a beat and get out of my home and meet up for like work drinks and see you guys again. And if everyone was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. And we could like, you know, and we talk about different places and then everyone's on board versus me being like, hey, we're going to do a work sponsored happy hour and people right. eye rolling. That's a total like yeah. just shifting how how I did that creates mm-hmm. that adoption, creates that community, creates that culture, then ultimately creates the ability to go above and beyond because there's a collective common like do it for the common good. Yeah, and it makes you look great because you're like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. You know, because it was their idea instead of saying you have to do it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I yeah. feel like I think there's so much psychology involved in that's in what I was just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so what is Harvard the saying about like you know, things that managers can do? You know, I'm sharing a little bit. This is a little slice. I mean, there were so many different things we did, especially as a sales team. You got to rally. You got to hit your numbers. And there were a lot of different things we did. But what Mm -hmm. is what are they saying? So I have two great sources here and I'd love your opinion on this. And number one, there's the biggest factor in getting employees to be on board with managers is one type of behavior. And that behavior is trust. If you don't trust your manager, you're not going to do anything for them. And there's three different categories of trust that are really important to hit all of them. And the first one is having positive relationships with your direct reports. So really fostering that healthy, positive relationship. And I would imagine that means, you know, having good boundaries, positive feedback, not only coming to them with the negatives. I mean, what else I'm sure you could add to that. That was just like right off the top of the head. What I, what I thought of in terms of positive relationship. Yeah. I mean, you also want to make sure that you're personable. So it's not always about the numbers. It's not always about the task at hand that you're also learning about the employee themselves and genuinely. So not like, Hey, how are you? I'm good. Okay, great. Let's move on to that thing. Like, you know, there's obviously times where you can't have like a 20 minute drawn out chat, but you know, when the time presents itself, that's learning like, Oh, you, you should know as a manager, you should know, a little bit about your employees. Like, do they have kids? Do they have a favorite sports team? Do they like to, uh, do they have a hobby? They like, I mean, you should know a little bit, obviously you want the employee to feel comfortable. And again, that's about like building that relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to that point, HBR also cites discovering common ground. So basically exactly what you just said is asking those questions and maybe even divulging a, a bit about yourself to them mm-hmm. so that they feel you know comfortable and there's that common ground there. The second element of trust is consistency. 
So I feel like that's a no brainer. You know, if you're asking something of your employees, you have to be consistent across the board in how you're delivering it and what you're asking of them. So that, yeah, I think, and would you like to add anything to that? I think consistency is just so important. You want to treat everyone at the same sort of level based on some specific building blocks. And then obviously that chains might change at certain points based on, you know, whatever project they're working on. Right. So, Mm -hmm. or if you're grooming someone to be a leader within the organization and there's a mentorship program going on for that. Mm -hmm. So, but in terms of consistency, to me, that also means like how often you're checking in with them. And it's not the obnoxious, like, I'm going to look over your shoulder and see what you're doing for work. It's just like, I call it, what we did is like the Friday call. And it would be, hey, how are things? How was your week? Anything you you want to share? Uh, good, bad, you know, yep. sort of neutral. <laughs> and <laughs> sure. it doesn't have to be like this. It, it's more the casual conversation. Mm-hmm. And that consistency of that helps build that trust because you are build, um, having those check-ins. If you're not having them, which... I have learned that this doesn't exist in a lot of other other organizations where managers are actually doing that check-in. If you're not having that, then it's like, why are you calling me? And it's a lot of voicemail. Like you're going to voicemail Mm -hmm. and you're scheduling actual Mm -hmm. real meetings and making it more formal always, which you've obviously at that point lost their trust. And yeah, and it's super stressful because then, you know, like, you just get a pit in your stomach. Like, Oh gosh, why are they calling me? Something must be wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of it just being like a casual, this is what we do in yeah. you know every week or whatever it may be. HBR also said in terms of consistency, it's about delivering on what you promise. So yeah, yeah all of that. And then lastly, the third element that builds trust is expertise. So, you know, showing your employees that, you know, you're, little ears that you know your shit. Yeah. Well, and also I'll say like you get into the grunt work with them. Yeah. You're a manager. You've already done that in many cases, but then that you're willing to do it when Mm -hmm. they need it. Like, Hey, you want me to go to that meeting with you and you know, whatever, or Hey, it's about coaching through that, but like also showing you, you've been there, you've done that. And how do you do that? You kind of show by example. Yeah. Even like the, it kind of, again, brings me back to the athlete analogy where like, if you couldn't quite get something and all of a sudden your coach just comes in and like, does it. And you're like, Oh my gosh. And it's like, it does. It brings a level of respect because you're not ex- in that moment expecting it. Cause you're not seeing them do it all the time, but they they're there because at one point often, you know, they were an elite athlete themselves and they're just, you know, it comes naturally to them too. And so it's refreshing and it motivates you like, okay, I'm listening to this person because they can deliver on that and they are really good at that. And I want to be like that too, or whatever it is. Right. And it's, yeah, it's not that braggadocious sort of behavior. It's more Mm -hmm. like you're in the moment doing the thing. I always loved going to meetings with my employees to really sort of like watch them do their thing and be there to support them. And then like, if there was a stumbling block, then I would like come in to support them on that stumbling block. And then we talk about it after and we both like talk through it a little bit. 
And that was always a cool way to do it. Or like taking the sports analogy, you go do the sprint with them. Like you do the suicide sprints with yeah. them. And yeah. you might not be the fastest, but you're like, I get this. This is hard. I'm going to do it with you. Sort of. Yeah. I would always like as an orth, as a PA, you know, and, and before that I was an athletic trainer. So two things come to mind is when things were really busy and, you know, my boss always said this, you know, we gotta, you gotta go. No one's above anyone. You're cleaning a patient table. You're, you know, cleaning up whatever you can in the OR, you're getting everything organized and set, you're rolling patients back to the room. You know, there's some lines that were, you know, maybe crossed, but you're doing what it takes and you're not above anybody else. And then similarly, if I was covering like athletic events, I just, I, it never happened, but I would always say to the athletic trainer, if they were swamped, like, do you need help taping an ankle? Like, I'll get in there with you. Like I can, I can do this with you. I don't need to just like stand here on the sideline, you know, let me help. Do you need me to bring that water cooler back up with you or whatever it is? Because it's something that I, I did for a very long time and know how to do. And I think just establishing that type of relationship is so important amongst people just as a collaborative to feel like it is a team effort because, and then you're really working towards a common goal. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to add like one other don't and okay. I don't know if you've had a bad manager before, but I certainly have. Yes. I've had a bad manager and it was talking to other employees about employees on your team. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I had a manager who like gossiped all the time. And he said, he's like this, I just, I can't help myself. I have to gossip. It's so bad for morale. It's so bad. It Mm -hmm. it was like the best thing when that, in our, when that manager left for Mm -hmm. us, it was like, and, and the thing was, is like that manager, that manager was actually my peer. Mm -hmm. And then he got promoted totally cool on board. But then he was doing, he was acting like my peer still by gossiping about his team members. And you can't, you can't do that. There's like certain lines and uh, yeah, it was bad. You just reminded me, I don't know why, like once we're talking through us, like hit by this manager that Mm -hmm. was so poor. I just, and he was a good salesman, but a very poor manager. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know. I mean, I worked with surgeons, right? So they're all good salesmen. That's what they have to do is sell their surgery. But again, most of them are horrifically poor managers. <laughs> horrifically. I was asked by one and same thing. This just like hit me as you were telling <laughs> this story and looking back on it, I'm just like, what an HR nightmare these guys are. But like he literally, this surgeon asked me as we were like getting work done, you know, like anyone in a like hospital setting, you you know, all the computers are like lined up all over the hospital and you just kind of like grab and go if you can and like put your orders in and off and move on. And I was putting my orders in and he was sitting next to me doing his thing and a female anesthesiologist walked by us that he, that was, is very attractive, but he didn't particularly care for just working with her for many reasons. And he said, how do you think she is in bed? <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know. 
I wouldn't know the answer to that question. He's like, I bet she just lays there like a fish or something like flops around like a fish. And I was like, is this really the conversation I'm having right now? Like with, cause that's the thing, like in healthcare managers are like, yeah, you're, you're like, executive people in the hospitals, but it's also just by rank, right. Of like nurse, PA, like yeah. whatever it is like, and so doctor technically is like obviously ranked above. So they're managers, but they don't act like it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> Oh my God. I just had to share that story. That I just, is crazy. I mean, you have insane stories. I do. <laughs> I know. I do. I really do. I mean, I, I, blast back at me out of nowhere. I'm like, oh my God. No, you remember these things. Yeah. I mean, I have story. I remember being shocked. I, when we, we used to do annual trips for all the employees. And I remember being 22 going on my first annual corporate trip and being Mm -hmm. literally like the emoji where your eyes are just wide open going like, what Mm -hmm. the is going on? I mean, it was... A very eye-opening experience for me. So, yeah, that is, you know, there's good and bad managers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So with that said, you know, just to get get us back on yeah. track a little bit, I did want to discuss quickly in this Gallup poll, you know, we talk about managers and the Gallup poll really took it to another level okay. about how to solve the quiet quitting crisis. So obviously, number one, they say address manager engagement. We've kind of, you know, driven this point home. I think we can all agree manager engagement is very important for employee morale. Secondly, managers must learn how to have conversations to help employees reduce disengagement and burnout. So beyond getting to know them, know their workload, know what you're asking of them and, you know, try to really not burn anyone out. But that also comes from having those intimate conversations. The way I describe it is, is like, how are you doing? I Mm -hmm. am working so many hours. Wait, why are you working so many hours? What are you, what does the workload look like? And that's how those conversations Mm -hmm. happen is because you've done the work to actually build that comfort level. Those conversations. Yeah. So Gallup finds that the best requirement and habit to develop uh, for successful managers is having one meaningful conversation per week with each team member for about 15 to 30 minutes, which is, I mean, literally what you said. So hit the nail on the head there, Kimberly. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. And managers need to create accountability for individual performance team collaboration and customer value and employees must see how their work contributes to the organization's larger purpose. So it's really important for managers to not just look at small picture. Like this is the task that we need you to complete, you know, by end of day, you need to show them how it's actually working within the organization and how that cog in the wheel really is making a difference and helping that company move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It creates that sticky employee, that committed employee, the one that feels like you're part of something that's worth contributing those, you know, going above and beyond. Yeah. And Hey, if you are not a manager and you have a manager who's not doing these things, you know, something that we didn't touch upon that I really do want to just like myself dive into and maybe write about a little bit further on working mom notes is like 
why are you sticking around that job? You know, is it out of fear? Is it out of lack of options? Is it because you're comfortable, you know, but I think it's also important to consider that. Like, are you quiet quitting just because you genuinely need a break right now, which I completely respect. And I think makes a ton of sense, but then I think taking it that next step and asking yourself, but like, is this who I am and who I want to be? And will this make me feel good in life? you know, working at this level and then it offering, you know, the balance on the other end, or what do I want with this time that I'm spending at work? And then sort of going from there and keeping these things in mind when you meet managers and don't be afraid to pivot and, and go somewhere, you know, people, right. They always say people quit because of bad managers, not because of the company itself. Yeah. Yeah. People don't quit companies. They quit managers, right? That's the phrase. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. So with all that said, quiet quitting, you know, again, comes back to managers. Mm -hmm. And I like think that even if managers know you're like, I feel like there were times when people were going through stuff Mm -hmm. where we just like decrease that workload for them. You're going through some stuff outside of work. I want you to have like the mind share, the mental capacity to navigate that. That's important. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how we can decrease this workload for the time being. And usually it was like a short amount of time. Like, but it was something. It was like, yeah. yeah. It could yeah. be like a month. Let's just like reevaluate. Okay. That's a your short amount of time. <laughs> I'm thinking like you gave them like three days. Well, I mean, I've done that where I've said like, hey, just take the day off. And like, uh, you know, like do that. But I think when you're going through something that has like a mental load on it, it's not fixed within like a couple of days. Yeah. Typically, typically. Yeah. I let them kind of tell me first. And then I sort of in my head, like, for instance, I'll say like, if they have a death in the family or something like that, you know, that is bereavement is usually five days, depending mm-hmm. on an organization you're with. That's not going to be something that typically happens when you come back and you're okay. You usually need some time or you're a parent and you're just like literally trying to get, you know, like school started and you're trying to figure out your schedule. And maybe like you might say, you see your employee sort of struggling a little bit and going, okay, let's see if we can adjust accordingly for the next Mm -hmm. two weeks so Mm -hmm. that you can figure out your routine. Mm -hmm. I know when I, when I walked in, um, I swear this relates, when I walked into my uh, daughter's like preschool today, since it's the beginning of the year, they all, it was what you call it, like new, you know, new kids, some new kids in there. And there were four kids just like screaming their face off. They were so upset, you know, mommy, you know, cause it's new. And I can't, I can't help but feel that it's like those kids are real, the outward look of it is what the parents are feeling inside. Like as we all figure out this new routine of the school year. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's crying. (gasps) Exactly. Exactly. Well, I've loved this discussion. I feel like it just turns me into sort of, you know, the feelings that I, or not the feelings, but sort of like what I went through, you know, with Mm -hmm. my other organization and it's really fun to talk about this stuff. So I appreciate 
the conversation today and hopefully all that was listening did too. Yeah. And you know, if you have any opinion thoughts, we're all here. We're all for hearing them. So Mm -hmm. how did motherhood and career collide for you this week? So speaking of dropping my daughter off this morning, all of my children started school on Tuesday. And so it's just been like kind of a whirlwind of dealing with like, you know, their emotions coming home from school because they're tired. They're, you know, they're using their brains for the first time in several months. So it's just been really about like figuring out what our routine is going to be. Like my daughter is dying to do gymnastics and I'm like, okay, well looking at the times and then figuring out like, you know, it's like, I'm in it now. I'm in it before my kids were too little. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, like we're not going to be home until whatever time at night. And I'm schlepping the kids all over the place. Like Monday is this Tuesday is this. So I'm trying to maintain some sanity and we are signed up for gymnastics and we might also be doing jujitsu because we can talk about this another time, but basically, especially with three girls, I feel like self-defense is so important. And so I just want them to have like a strong baseline of what that, what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're going to give that a try, but anyway, so I just feel like I've been trying to give myself permission to just scale back on the work stuff and focus on the kids and what they need. And I guess I, myself am being a quiet quitter this week and it, it actually feels good. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? I'm yawning. (laughs) I see that. (laughs) No, things are good. It's just, we're. I don't know, three weeks into school. I I can't even recall now. It feels like a blur. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how our schedule is going to work for us still. So we do have sports. Um, we also have to get homework done. So sports and homework and the time school gets out last year, we were able to have them in after school care until a certain time. But if, we do that, then there's less time to do homework. They can do homework at after stay care, but they actually have to do it there. That's the thing. Like, yeah. And so they loved after school care. So they actually are asking me about going, but it's been hard to figure it out. So my thing is a little bit of yawning is because my day is a little bit more broken up right now. And so I'm just trying to figure out the groove for that. So like last night I did a couple hours of work, which I try to avoid, but because of everyone's schedule, it's been a little bit more challenging to do that. I mean, it's just not. And also that's me working out too, which I I feel like is non-negotiable for me. So I I have to move my body. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm also fitting that in. So if I took that out, then yeah, I wouldn't have to do you know, yeah, so don't that you're non-negotiable. yeah, so no, I, no. I have to work through it. So we're still trying to figure it out. And, you know, that could change after October. So who knows, but that's where, and it's also like 5,000 degrees out here. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> we're going through a heat advisory out here uh, in California, and it is incredibly hot, way hotter than it would normally be. For that time of year. Yeah. I mean, it's typically, I think it's typically a little bit 
uh, we don't really get fall until November, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, you know, upwards of 95 degrees, which is hot here um, right. on the coast. It, it's right. really warm. And then you go inland and I think Bakersfield was like 115. <gasps> Oh my yeah. gosh. Oh yeah. So we're dealing with like kids saying they have like, you know, they're at school, making sure they're drinking enough water, like coming up with headaches, make sure they're eating their food. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some other things that, you know, obviously take up some mind share. So we're working through it though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much for such a wonderful conversation. And thank you everyone for listening and Kim stay cool out there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening. We hope you find support in our words for more. Come find us on Instagram at motherhood career collide or on our websites, learningmotherhood.co and workingmomnotes.com. We would be so grateful if you could leave us a review and share this episode with a friend that needs to hear this discussion. We are all in this together. And as a reminder, you are not alone. You are doing your best and you are enough.